And what a weekend that was. How many of you are out for that weekend? It was, that was three weeks ago now. Yeah, look, look at all the hands. We had over 700 people sign up, show up, uh, and engage in the Swazi food packing event where we packed, we did it. Guys, we, we did it, church. We, we packed 285,000 meals to send over to Swaziland, Africa. Can we celebrate that? Um, truly remarkable. One of the most, really one of the most special events and experiences I think I've ever been a part of. And every time I even watch the video or reminisce and think about and thank God, almost like what we just sang, or thank God for what he did, um, I'm just moved by it. it. It really gets me emotional seeing the church uh, empowered and equipped and activated. You know, you're activated to be the church. We're activated to be the church. And who wants to do that again? Come on now, who's... When we do it again, because we're going to do it again. I don't know when we're going to do it again. We, ha we haven't decided that, but we're going to do this again, right? Are we going to do this again? And most of the things that I heard from people were like, we could, why didn't we do more? We were done. Or, well, I, was, I was just getting going. I mean, I, we could pack more meals. And I was like, we don't have more materials. So, uh, but it, it was just such an exciting um, and moving event, to be a part of a movement that's meaningful, where we are packing food. And in, 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 in fact, two weeks ago, uh, the food was sent on the shipping container. We got an email from uh, Child's Hope International and Bill, their, um, their director of operations. And uh, it was sent and it's going to arrive in Eswatini uh, on December 22nd, just in time for Christmas. Isn't that awesome? Um, so, and in fact, church, I just want to kind of uh, give a little bit of a plug. Coming up in December, we're doing a Christmas offering over the entire month of December, and all of the proceeds are going to support our care points. And we've even talked about funding another care point. Um, but it goes to funding care points over in Eswatini. Um, and this helps feed kids. It helps provide shepherds um, and pastors and training and education and water. And we've done clothing. We even got a few years ago, we got kids soccer jerseys um, for their soccer team. And you would have thought as we were giving them these soccer jerseys that we just handed them a million dollars. I watched the look on their faces as they got cleats for the first time. Most of them go barefoot everywhere and they got these jerseys. You can be a part of that. In December, we're gonna be taking up this offering throughout that month for our brothers and sisters in Swaziland. And I just encourage you to be praying about what God might have you give to support these women over there, these Tambali women, these, uh, these care points that we're partnering with. Um, I am now going to just make a sharp left turn. Uh, and we are in the book of Genesis and we are in week seven of our series in Genesis. And has this been rich for each of you going through this book? Um, this ancient and inspired, inspired text that's God breathed that is inspired by the Holy Spirit that has something to say to us today. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Yeah. We believe that today. So we're approaching the text today that was written thousands of years ago. We're approaching it as if it has something not just to, uh, to teach us in a cerebral way, but to teach us in a spiritual and a heart way. 
to move our hearts. We're gonna be talking about a story of two guys, two brothers named Cain and Abel. Maybe you've heard this story before. Maybe you've read it a hundred times. Maybe you've never heard it before at all. No, no matter what your approach to the text, I want you to approach the text today with curiosity. I want you to approach the text today with questions, with observations. Who are these people? Who are these characters? One of the best questions that you can ask in Bible study is this, okay? So just lock this away if you don't hear anything else from the message. One of the best questions you can ever ask when you're reading through the Bible is this question. What does this teach me about God? Because what we learn and what we believe about our relationship with God dictates everything else. It sets foundation for everything else. So we're gonna ask these questions. What does this teach us about God? What does this teach us about ourselves and our relationship to God? This is, um, uh, this is a sequel to chapter three. So we're in chapter four of the book of Genesis. And it really wasn't until pretty recent history that we added numbers and chapter numbers and verse numbers to scripture. So really um, in the ancient text, this would have been read and some scholars actually believe they're actually, they're just one story. They're chapters three and four. So chapter three, do you remember what happened? We, two, two weeks ago, um, Jason finished up chapter three. Last week we had Snowmageddon and this week we have spring and welcome to Michigan, you know? So um, we got dumped on last weekend, um, but two weeks ago, Jason finished up chapter three where we talked about the fall, Adam and Eve, the serpent, the bite of the forbidden fruit, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil were in the garden. The curse the Proto-Evangelion, which is like this first mention and pointing toward Christ in scripture. In fact, one of my favorite scholars and teachers, Tim Keller, uh, he actually says of these books, of these first chapters in the book of Genesis, that there are really no new themes throughout the rest of scripture that weren't started in Genesis 1 to 11. This is how critical these are. This is like the DNA of the Bible. We have our first mentions of Christ. We have sin. We have foundational uh, parts about humanity and our relationship with God. Some things that we're going to find out. Well, actually, I just don't, I don't want to skip over this. Two weeks ago, as we talked about the curse, Jason gave a call to salvation. And we had 18 people accept Christ two weeks ago. Can we celebrate that? It was amazing. It was amazing. And if two weeks ago we talked about salvation, this week we're really kind of talking a bit more about sanctification, which is a fancy word for holiness or being made like Christ, surrendering everything to him. Some things that we're gonna find in this story that really are not the first in, in our series. Pride, we're gonna find pride again. We're gonna find temptation. Uh, we're going to find uh, people making decisions based on their feelings, what looks pleasing to the eye, what they're angry about, what they're depressed about. You ever make decisions based on your feelings? Yep. Yeah, okay, all of us, all of us. <laughs> feelings, how about the curses? Curses and we're going, you know, these effects of sin. And I'm just gonna tell you even beforehand, there is no way in the world that we're gonna get to everything that's found in this text. So I just encourage you, if there's something that 
that pricks your curiosity as we're talking about this story, go and look it up. Go and do some Bible study. We're not even gonna get into the curse part much at all, but there's some really rich stuff in this part of the relationship with God and Cain. Some things though that will be the first that we've ever experienced in, in, uh, in scripture and in human history. First one is this. In verse one, we have the first birth ever in human history. This is pretty important. We have the first sacrifice in this story ever in human history from a human to God. And what's interesting about it that we can't even talk about today because I don't have enough time, God didn't even ask for the sacrifice. I don't know if you noticed that ever when you're reading the text and we won't even go there, but I just dropped that in your lap and you can go and uh, do some study. First sacrifice ever and God didn't even ask for it. We have the first murder. Where are my murder mystery people out here? I know who you are. You're all, I know so many. Murder mystery. This is like the first murder mystery podcast, okay? <laughs> Ever, all right? This was God's idea. It wasn't someone else's idea. It was God's idea. First murder ever. We have the first murder ever from the first sibling rivalry ever. And we are in coming off of rivalry week, aren't we? We are coming off of rivalry week. And I don't know what to say. I have been, I have been goaded by so many of you this weekend. Uh, yet last night at service, um, Mark, who is in the tech booth, he kept playing on repeat, hail to the victors. And I was like, turn it off, I'm leaving. Mark, you're gonna have to preach, I'm done with this. So yeah, we have rivalry week. These rivalries in college sports that have been ha going on for literally over a hundred years, a lot of them. Auburn versus Alabama. Clemson versus South Carolina. South Carolina beat Clemson. OU versus Oklahoma State. Florida State versus Florida. Oregon versus Oregon State, and the biggest one, the best college rivalry in football, the game. Yeah. My Buckeyes <laughs> versus the Wolverines, the U of M. Okay, where are my U of M fans? Who's happy about you? I, we literally, yesterday we traveled Boo, thanks buddy. I knew you're out here. Where, is there an Ohio State fan somewhere in here? Oh. They don't want to acknowledge it. They don't want to acknowledge, they're too embarrassed. Oh man. So literally yesterday we were driving home during the game, we were driving home from Ohio from being with about 30 to 40 of my family members that came in from around, really from around the country for a family gathering in Northeastern Ohio. So we're watching, I'm watching the game as Amy's driving, I was like, babe, you've got to drive. I got to watch the game. Um, in that morning, yesterday morning, we did breakfast with my family and my mom, who's the sweetest person you'll ever meet, was wearing this red or scarlet uh, sweatshirt. And it said on it, Wolverine tastes like chicken. 
this is my family, okay? This is my, my, and I'm like, mom, what are you wearing? And she's like, oh, you know, I mean, it's just the best. So um, this is my family. I did grow up in Ohio. Rivalries. I mean, they're just such a big part of our culture. There's such a big, I mean, some of us make way too big of a deal of rivalries, but like rivalries, not just in, in, not just in sports, but how about sibling rivalries? How many of you have a sibling rivalry or you had a sibling rivalry growing up? If you're not an only, only child, you had a sibling rivalry. As a parent, I see it with my kids all the time. One of them runs across the, uh, the driveway and the other one has to run faster. One of them does a cartwheel, the other one has to do two cartwheels. One eats five Cheetos in 30 seconds, the other one has to eat more Cheetos. I mean, it's the weirdest stuff. We do arm wrestling. I actually have two friends um, that uh, that are brothers and back in college, I was at their house and they got into a wrestling match where we thought that someone was going to be hospitalized because of rivalry. It, it was, you know, it's, it's this, uh, who can eat the most, who can do the most, competition, comparison, jealousy, envy. And we see it right here in this text. We see the first sibling rivalry. Genesis chapter four, if you have your Bibles turned there, Genesis chapter four, um, it starts off, this story starts off in a really weird way where only a man could possibly be writing this story. Um, But it starts off like this, and you'll see it on the screen. Adam made love to his wife, Eve. (laughs) Is that a weird way to start a story? A woman, if she was writing, it's right. If a woman was writing this story, it wouldn't start off that way. It might just have, you know, but a man was writing it and it starts with lovemaking. So just an aside, Adam made love to his wife, Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. She didn't mention Adam at all. (laughs) Isn't that funny also? Like this is the first time a husband and wife conversation was like, babe, you really didn't do much. It was a very small contribution. Uh, This was really me and the Lord, okay? Uh, Adam's an afterthought. Later she gave birth to his brother, Abel. The text continues on. Now Abel kept the flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the first fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. This doesn't really feel good. These are parts of the story where like, and when they don't feel good, they should lead us to questions. Why would God favor one and not the other? As a parent, that feels really icky. What, what's happening here? So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know. He replied, am I my brother's keeper? Have you ever had like, you hear the snark in this response, right? 
I don't know, am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Notice how much the ground is mentioned. And we, again, this is another thing. We just can't, we don't have time to even talk about it today. So go up and go home and look up uh, and, and start digging into scripture. Why was the ground so important? Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from, again, the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work again the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. This is like upping the ante of the curse from Genesis 3. In Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve sinned, it said that now the ground, uh, when it produces fruit, it will be toilsome it'll be painful. Now the curse is even worse. It won't even, even if you work for it, it won't even yield its crops for you. That's right. The effects of sin keep escalating in our story of humanity. You will be a restless wanderer on earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you're driving me from the land, again, the land, and I'll be hidden from your presence. I'll be a restless wanderer on earth, again, ground, and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from, this is such a sad sentence right here. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and he lived in the land of Nod. Nod means literally wandering. He lived in a land of being lost, east of Eden. There's a few things we're gonna cover from our text today, and some of them um, came up in our devotional from last week as well. Heidi, just gonna give kudos to Heidi Holdridge who wrote the devotional for this week. And uh, have you been engaging in the devotional? If you haven't been, you can get one on your way out. And this helps us not just engage in scripture on the weekend, but through the weekday. Not just what we would call Sunday Christians, but like, like weekday Christians who are engaging in God's word, asking questions. The insights that Heidi gave into this text were really, really profound. And so they, they kind of set us up for this weekend to, to dive into this text. And the first thing that I want to bring up, the first thing that I wanna talk about is Cain's partial sacrifice. Cain's partial sacrifice. And it starts, we start to see the extent of Cain's relationship with God, his partial sacrifice. Really, we start to see it in his mom and in his mom's interactions with God in the first two verses. Let's look at them. Adam made love to his wife, Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. With the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Now, in, in, I've done uh, more study throughout this series and bought more commentaries than probably any other series we've ever been a part of because of just how deep these texts are, how deep this part of God's inspired word is. And one book that I read leading up to this was The Beast that's, That Crouches at the Door by a Jewish rabbi named David Foreman. And he is a scholar in Hebrew. Anyone a scholar in Hebrew? Yeah, me either, okay? And he points out that in the text, so as we're reading this in English, we read, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. And it seems like, hey, Eve is giving credit where credit is due. 
In English though, we use with in a lot of different ways, don't we? I could say, hey, would you come with me to the store? Would you come with me on vacation? Would you come with me out to dinner? And this would be a relational, an intimate connection, wouldn't it? Or I could say, I'm going home later and I'm splitting wood with my ax. Or I'm sending out an email with my computer. Or I'm sending a text with my phone. What's the difference between these two withs? One's relational in nature and, and one uh, is, is objective. It, it's, um, it's almost usury. It's still helpful. The phone is still helpful. The ax is still helpful, but you're the one that uses the tool to get what you want. In Hebrew, there's two different words for with though. In a Hebrew reader, when they read this, they would have noticed Eve did not use the word for with that's relational. Very, very curious, very odd. She uses a word for with here that's usury, that's objective. I used God to get what I want. Anyone ever lived there before? Anyone ever prayed a prayer? Like, you know, God, if you do all of these things for me, I'll, I'll do all of this for you. It's almost like, it's almost cliche in our culture. Eve, her relationship with God right here in Genesis chapter four sets up uh, almost a problem that keeps escalating throughout the rest of human history that you and I have repeated. Where it's like, God's in my back pocket, God's in the passenger seat, I'm in the driver's seat. I use God to get what I want. God was, or God was secondary while Eve was primary and Adam wasn't even mentioned. <laughs> and so she says, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Um, this means, this is actually where Cain's name comes from. I have brought forth, I have acquired a man. His name, Cain in Hebrew means acquired. And he's now living in, we're gonna see in the story, he now lives into his name. <laughs> he follows his mom and dad's lead in using God and positioning themselves against God rather than partnering with God in a way that's subservient, in a way that says, God, you are God and I'm not. I really am, I, I give you control. All throughout the New Testament, this is what Paul talks about when it comes to salvation. Whoever declares that Jesus is what? Lord, that means he's in control. It means you don't have God in your back pocket anymore. You don't use God to meet your ends, whatever those ends are. You serve God, you love God. Cain brought some, he starts to live into the same type of mindset. And it, did you notice this in the story? We actually heard this with a Robert Morris series on giving several years ago. Some of you might be familiar with this part. Cain brought some, of his offering in the course of time, like, eh, it feels like a good time to give God something. While Abel brought some of the firstlings or the first fruits, Abel gave what was best, Cain just gave as an afterthought. How we treat God, this is what the text says, now Abel kept the flocks, Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soils and offering, and Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn. 
in his flock. Church, how we treat God affects everything else in our lives. Cain's offering was not only half-hearted, it was kind of like an insurance policy. Cain was a farmer, he tends the land. What does Cain control? Like, what does he control? He controls planting seeds, weeding, harvesting. What does Cain not control? Rain, sunshine, growth of plants, nutrients. His dependency on God is really obvious, isn't it? But isn't it obvious for us too? <laughs> um, I remember the first, my first friends um, that I led to the Lord in high school, one of the most difficult parts of sharing my faith with them was convincing them that they are not self-sufficient. That was, and I think that, that is for 21st century uh, Americans, maybe globally, this is an issue. We are so self-sufficient. We open the fridge, we have food, we work hard, we, did, we earned everything that we have, we acquired, do you see our, the comparison to the text? We acquire, we earn, we work, we get all of it ourselves. Cain had somehow bought the, bought the lie that he was more important to the equation than God is. You start to believe that this partnership with God is something that we control, something that we can manipulate to our end, something that we, uh, something that's maybe not even needed. So Cain offers a half-hearted sacrifice. It's not his best. He doesn't actually think God deserves or is worth his best. His offering wasn't pure-hearted. It wasn't out of love for God, but out of love for what God does or what God brings. Is this hitting anyone else? Like, is this your relationship with God? Is this my relationship with God? We love God for what he can do or what he can bring, but we don't love God for who he is. This is Cain. Abel was God dependent. In fact, in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, it talks about Abel and it says that Abel's offering was given by faith. You know what faith is? It's trusting things you can't see. It's trusting God with everything. Abel's offering in the New Testament was called an offering by faith. Cain's was not. Abel was God dependent. Cain was self-dependent. Cain was living out his name, the one who acquires. God as partner versus God as product. Then the Lord said to Cain, now this is a really important part of the story and I wish we could camp out here even longer. Um, God says to Cain, now anytime in scripture, this is another important part about engaging in God's word. Anytime God speaks, it should make our ears kind of perk up. It should make us kind of focus in a little bit more. What, is, what did God say? How does he interact? In fact, we did a, an honor event with our next gen team um, last week, last Sunday. And uh, we, had, we talked about faith, gender, sexuality, LGBTQ conversation. And the, the man who was presenting, when we asked, we had a Q&A time to talk about how do we engage this? How do we teach our kids about this? How do we engage this conversation with them about sexuality? And he said this, and I love it. He said this, he's like, I really want you to ask a question of your kids, not just what do they think about it. And I don't even just want you to ask the question or to tell them what you think about, that, about it. I want you to help direct them to the question, what does God 
think about this. Church, if we ask this question of scripture, if we ask this question in our lives, it directs us towards something much greater, an opinion uh, that is not subjective, that is objective from God. It's no longer our feelings, what we think about it, but what does God think about it? What does God say? So God comes into the equation and he says this to Cain. He says, Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? This whole section, I'm calling God's gentle conversation. Uh, Tim Keller calls it the sweetness of God. God comes in to Cain and remember who God is. He has two chapters before, he's spoken planets and uh, creation into existence. He's fas- into existence. He's fashioned humanity out of the dust. He is all powerful all-powerful. And he comes up to Cain, his punk little son, who's got an attitude problem. And he comes in, he's like, son, are you kidding me? You know how good you have it? When I was a kid, we had to go, we went to school. We walked up hills, hills, both, both ways through the snow. And you know what we do as parents, right? God doesn't approach Cain this way. In fact, this is super, even as I was reading the text this week, this was a super convicting part for me as a parent. I'm like, I don't, I don't engage my kids the way that God engages his kids, us. God comes in with questions. Jesus did it all throughout the New Testament too. The gentleness of questions. Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? God could have called Cain a selfish ingrate. He could have called him out. He could have been like, get out of here, go to the corner, go to your room. You need to think about what you've done. God, instead he comes down, I picture him even stooping down to to Cain. He's like, hey, why, why are you angry? And we could hear in the text multiple tones, like, why are you angry? We could hear that tone. I think God's tone in this place right here. And this happens throughout the rest of, uh, of his statement. I think God is saying, why are you angry? Why are you angry? We see here, God addressed two feelings, um, anger and downcast. I was listening to a podcast from one of my friends, Joe, this last week, and he was talking about a situation where he was really, uh, he felt rejection in a particular situation. And as a byproduct of that rejection, he felt angry. And he said this, anger is a cover-up emotion. Anger and depression cause us to do some pretty unbelievable things, but they're symptoms of a bigger problem, aren't they? They're symptoms, symptoms of shame, of jealousy, of comparison, of selfishness, of pride, of disappointments, of fear. I was reading on a, a psychology um, article this last week, and I read this about, uh, about anger in particular. Some common causes of anger are grief, expectations, and stress. Let's just talk about these and kind of talk turkey here. Grief, loss. Have you experienced loss recently? Some of you have lost a loved one, 
loved one. Some of you have lost a family member. Some of you have lost a marriage. Some of you have lost a friendship. Some of you have lost a job. Loss, grief does things to us and causes feelings to get stirred up in us that are symptoms of the thing. So you come home and you get angry with your kids or you, you come back to the dorm room and you blow up on your roommate and, and it's not about the anger, it's about something under the anger. That's why God asked the question, why are you angry? We're going to the root of the problem. I'm not talking about anger. I'm talking about what led you to anger. I'm talking about what led you to being depressed or downcast. How about expectations? One of my favorite things to do with couples for premarital counseling um, is to go through this 10 to 15 page document on expectations and I have them fill it out separately and then we come back together and we compare them and that's super duper fun. Because <laughs> they're like, who do you think's gonna do the dishes? And they're like, you know, I mean, who does the laundry? What about, where are we gonna spend Christmas? Well, of course we gotta, I mean, I have this tradition that, you know, it's an awesome tradition. It's, it's probably better than your tradition, you know? And well, wait a minute. My tradition though is, but we've got to spend, and we go through expectations. And expectations or the, or the uh, mismanagement, the broken expectations lead so many of us to anger. And so we have to ask the question, why? Like what God asked to, to Cain, why are you angry? Stress, anyone stressed recently? Anxious, pressure everywhere, pressure every place you turn, stress. Signs of anger may be accompanied by other emotions like humiliation, disrespect, insecurity, rejection. Here we have rejection in this one. Jealousy, we have, a je we have jealousy in this. Abandonment, I wonder if Cain felt abandoned even by the Lord not looking on his with favor. Fear. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you Now listen to this part. We're gonna move further into the statement. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now, King James or, or New King James Version, they say, if you do well, if you do well, if you do what is right, Notice what God doesn't say here. God doesn't say if you do evil. So um, opposite of right is wrong, but the absence of rightness isn't always evil. What I love here is that we play this game all the time. <laughs> well, it wasn't good. It really, but God didn't really say it was bad. So I was kind of in this neutral zone. I was in this neutral zone. I want you to hear this uh, today. Without an active pursuit of that which is good, Jesus, you are a sitting duck. You and I are sitting ducks for temptation. Evil isn't the danger zone, church. Neutrality in this text, in this, in this story, neutrality is the danger zone. Uh, we like to get as close to the line as we can. How can I... How much can I drink? How physical can I be? What words can I say? Um, what kind of attitude can I have? 
how many things can I say before it turns to gossip? We like to get as close to this line over here. We like to teeter in this neutrality zone. Well, it really wasn't right, but it really wasn't wrong either. You know what? Christine Kane says it this way. All it takes to drift is nothing. Have you felt that in your life? All it takes to drift is just nothing. There's something else I want to point out in the text and it's against fatalism. I hear almost the line from Tolkien and Lord of the Rings, but even now there is hope left. You can change. You can choose. You aren't the sum total of your desires and passions. You aren't defined. You don't have to be defined by your anger, by your temper, by your wrath, by your depression, by your anxiety. You don't have to. God literally says to Cain here, if you do what is well, you can do it. And will you not be accepted? If you give wholeheartedly, not half, not where you're trying to acquire my favor or something like that, but you're just lovingly ser- like saying, having this relationship of Lord and servant with me. If, if it's that, what Jesus calls us to, if it's that kind of relationship, will you not be accepted? It almost seems trite, doesn't it? It almost seems super simple. God says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? You can do well. Now we still believe theologically that we are saved by grace through faith, not of works so that no one can boast. We also believe as Christians that you have been given the power of Christ Jesus, the same power through the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in you and me and you can choose to do well. Do you believe that today? You can choose to do well. You don't have to go the way of those passions. You don't have to go the way of those feelings. You don't have to go the way of that temptation. You don't have to choose the same path that Adam and Eve chose. You don't have to choose the same path that Cain chose. You don't have to do it. In fact, and this was in the devotional this week that Heidi wrote, in fact, Paul says that when, uh, that, temp- that when we're tempted, that God has not given us more than we can bear in temptation, but he's, he's provided a way out every time. There's a way out, there's a door that's, that doesn't have a lion crouching behind it, but it has freedom on the other side of it. He goes on and he says, sin is crouching at your door. I love this part. God literally makes sin anthropomorphic. It takes on an identity of itself. It becomes like a a predator that's prowling. When I was a kid, um, I already told you this, but I grew up in Ohio and I grew up in this little town of 200 people. And we had this neighbor that had an indoor outdoor cat and her name was Patches. I got a picture up here of Patches. Everyone say hi to Patches. No, don't do that. No, you don't need to say it. Okay, so Patches is a huntress. She's a cat. Do you have, do you have a cat and have you, had a, have, have you had like a mouse come, run across the room or even a fly? And what does the cat do? You know, you're petting it and it's like purring. It's like rolling around and it sees, a, it sees prey and it's like, it is poised. This is Patches. There's a bird, and actually I was talking to my mom about this. My mom took these pictures when I was a kid with film. 
And uh, this bird, she actually said, what intrigued me about this whole sequence is that the bird saw the cat. She said the bird would look down at the cat but didn't think that there was danger until that. Isn't that amazing? I'm like, mom, it's like National Geographic, but from the late 80s, early 90s, how did you do that? She sent the film away and what didn't even know what was gonna come back. And this is what came back. That bird met its demise. Sin was crouching. Do you see the picture of what God says here to Cain? It's crouching. You don't even think you're in danger and you are in danger. You think I can handle it. You can't handle it. Don't trust your anger and your depression and your instincts. Try to think that you can handle it. If you, no, 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 no. Run away from that. What James says, Jesus' half-brother in the New Testament, he says, submit first to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Back away from him, turn to God, not toward the enemy. I love the other part of this text that I think is so applicable for us in this word picture that the Lord gives the king, sin is crouching at your door. How do you know if sin is crouching at the door when you can't see beyond the door without someone else? This is about Christian community, church. This is about you finding people that can get real and kind of get up in your grill and be like, dude, that attitude, that is sin's crouching at your door. I talked to Jake Heitman, who's on our staff this last week. He was like, we use it in our family. We use this phrase. I think sin might be crouching at, at your door. I think you, that's an attitude. That's a behavior. That's something that's leading you not toward Jesus, but away from. Do you have accountability in your life? Do you have a group that is ready and willing to step into some of those tough conversations and be like, dude, you're flirting with death. That right there is not just fun, that's porn. Okay, that right there, uh, that, that's, no, that's inappropriate. That right, th- that, that right there, that's sin, it's crouching your door. We need to eliminate that. It desires you, but you must rule over it. You know, sin has a will. It, 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 wants, to, it wants to kill you. Uh, Jesus says in the New Testament that the enemy has come to steal, to kill, and destroy. <clears throat> one question that comes up in my mind as I read through this text is, what is sin? This is one of the first times in scripture that sin is even mentioned. What is sin? Sin is crouching at your door. What is sin? You know what sin is, church? Sin is a good thing that God has created, a good desire even that has been skewed, that's deviant now. You know what sin does? It takes good things and it turns them ultimate, which is idolatry. Essentially, the sneakiness of sin is that it takes food, something that we need, that God has given us to, to even enjoy, but it makes food uh, our obsession and turns it into gluttony, that we all ate three to 4,000 calories on Thanksgiving. <laughs> Unbelievable, that's, that was astonishing to me. Uh, it takes sexuality, this good gift from God, and it makes it our primary our identity and our chief aim. It takes leadership and, and relationships as parents or spouses or friends. It makes that leadership dominant and selfish. Well, that was just strong, good leadership. No, you were a jerk. That was mean. 
That wasn't right. Well, I just, I've, but I have a backbone. No, you've taken the good thing and you've skewed it in your favor. That's not okay. This happens all the time. It takes communication. It turns it into gossip. It takes money and makes it God. Sin takes shelter and security, two good things, and makes them supreme. God commissions us to master sin, to hone passion, to temper our God-given drives and emotions. Jesus says this way in Mark 7. He says, what comes out of a person is what defiles them, for it is from within, out of a person's heart, the evil thoughts come, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. Anyone dealt with those things recently? Anyone had those knocking at the door recently? All these evil, all these evils come from inside and defile a person. James said it this way. I already quoted James chapter four and five, but James chapter one, when tempted, no one should say God is tempting me for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted, listen to this, when they're dragged away, he uses some of the same kind of word picture. They're dragged away like an animal that's been slaughtered, dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to death or gives birth to sin and sin when it is full grown gives birth to death. It's a trick. It's, um, was that the guy in, in, in Star Wars? It's a trap, okay? It's like, it's, don't go for it. It's a trap. So it leads us to the last part of our story, the first murder. The first murder. You know, it's interesting about the story that some theologians um, believe based on Cain's curse is that a lot of theologians actually don't believe that this was first degree murder. They believe that it was second degree, that it was manslaughter. It was a, it was a crime of passion, which checks out in the text. In the curse, it says that you'll be a wanderer, you're exiled and you're wandering. And in the Levitical law, that's what is the, is the punishment for second degree murder. First degree is you lose your life. We have here Cain who thinks he can handle it, who thinks he can deal with his own passions by himself without submitting them to God. And he goes out into this field and he kills his brother. Jesus in Matthew chapter five kind of ups the ante though. He says, whoever murders is subject to judgment. But I tell you, whoever's angry with a brother or sister is subject to judgment. He goes on even right after this, he says, whoever calls a brother or sister raka or a fool is subject to the fire of hell. Wait, so if I ask someone who's murdered someone recently, I don't think very many hands are gonna go up. Who's been angry and had disdain and resentment towards someone, I think a lot of hands would go up or maybe not very many because you don't want to admit it. <laughs> this is what we're talking about, this nuanced inward sin. Church, I want to invite the prayer team to come up. We're going we're gonna to close. <clears throat> and I want to ask some questions of you. And, and if you need to come up, we're, we're not going to have... The band isn't coming up. There's no altar call. Um, but if you need to come up and pray with someone about sin that's been crouching at your door, um, I just encourage you to do that today. The last two weeks, and I think it's been because of even preparing for this text, I have felt more sin crouching at my door um, than I have in months. This enticing 
yeah, just look at that. That'll feel good. Just say those words. That'll, that'll, that'll scratch the itch. Just do that thing. Sin is crouching, but you must rule, or you can rule over it. You can master the beast. Is sin crouching at your door today? Are you angry and dejected? Why? Have you chosen sin and passion and hatred of others? Church, there's hope. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about the hope of Jesus, that through Jesus, we have salvation and forgiveness. If you know Jesus, not only can you be, or not only are you forgiven, you can be free. <laughs> you can experience freedom. You can experience holiness. You can experience mastery over the beast. It doesn't mean the beast doesn't still crouch. It's crouching all the time. It's always there. But as believers, we can band together and be like, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna kill that. We're gonna, we're gonna rout that, that beast. We're gonna, we're gonna attack that sin right there. We're gonna fight it together. You have an addiction to this thing. We're gonna fight that together. We're gonna fight for holiness. You can be free. You can do good. God, I pray today as we close that, that you would help us God, you've been doing this in my heart in the last couple of weeks. You've been uh, asking me to look inward and ask the question, where have I been like and where am I right now like Cain? Trying to control my relationship with you, earn your favor, acquire, manipulate my relationship with you. Where have I allowed sin to crouch at my door? And instead of choosing holiness, I choose the fickleness of my own feelings that lead me towards sin, these evil desires. God, would you help us as a church pursue revival, pursue holiness? Will you help us as a church band together in Talmudims and in accountability groups and in life groups and, uh, and in mentorship relationships where we're, we get serious about pursuing you, Jesus? God, I pray that today, if there are some who are convicted, that they would just be obedient to listen to your voice, to talk to someone uh, for, for confession, for freedom, um, for accountability, that God, we would be a church that gets serious about outing that sin that's crouching at our door and turn to the sweetness, uh, the gentleness of our Savior. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, you are commissioned to go at this time. Again, if you wanna come up and pray with the prayer team, we'd invite you to do that. Thanks for coming uh, today. We'll see you next week.